Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. In the first episode of Season 7, we looked at the faith-building program that we had put Elijah and his host widow on in the north. Their faith is built by the daily reappearance of just enough for them to eat that day. The widow continues to serve as an example, for not only is hers a life of bare subsistence for so very long, but in the midst of that hardship, her son dies. She blames Elijah and herself and us, as if the prophet has pointed out her sin to me and we have killed her son as a consequence. While I love the fact that this simple woman who is outside the family of Jacob is looking so deeply into the causes and effects of life and attributing everything to me, in stark contrast to the kings of Israel and Judah who could use another helping of her eyesight, we have not done as she imagines. The boy's passing does, however, give us and Elijah the chance to convey our thanks to her, and to the boy who's given up his bed for the prophet all this time. Our thanks to them for their faithful service. Elijah sides with the widow and argues with me on her behalf, exclaiming, Yahweh, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he goes to the boy and stretches himself across the lad three times crying out, Yahweh, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And I send the boy straight back into his breathless body. He gasps and wakens, wondering why Elijah's nasty beard with little crumbs of pita bread in it is all up in his face. When the prophet leads the young fellow downstairs, his mother's faith, which has already been in just enough boot camp for quite some time, her faith grows even more, and she tells Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of Yahweh from your mouth is the truth. 1 Kings 17.17 17, for the boy's big moment. Three full years pass there in just enough boot camp. By now, you know that's not just a random number. A handful of you even know what desperate times develop in the droughted land over the course of that period. Yes, there are still times of drought in your age. Not to minimize them, but you've established a far more extensive relief system in your habitat. You'll recall that we sent word through Joseph to Egypt way back when, warning them that drought was coming seven years' worth. They made it through with tightened belts and significant nationwide preparations. Ahab's drought is an entirely different animal, though, stemming directly from the placing of his faith and that of our children in an imposter god. 
I have withdrawn my active influence from the arena in which Baal is purported to function. I am giving him three years to make a grand entrance, send rain in thanks to all my people who've switched to worshipping him, and establish himself as their savior instead of us. Not surprisingly for someone who doesn't exist, Baal is a no-show. And since I've mentioned our warning to Egypt through Joseph so they could prepare, that option of warning and preparation was certainly out there for Baal to use, which he didn't, because he couldn't. As is our primary emphasis at this point of the Abra plan, one must exist in order to do something. Of course, though this clear truth is played out over three years of non-intervention on Baal's part, Ahab and the people are too dense and hardened to come to their senses and cry out to me for rain. The idiots continue to sacrifice to Baal, wondering when he's going to come by with a little wetness. Since this parental discipline on my part is after all designed to produce a change of heart, something for which survival is required, inclining the people's hearts back to me, I shift teaching tactics since they've still not learned their lesson. If three years of inactivity on Baal's part doesn't raise any suspicion on the people's part with regard to his existence, we'll just have to raise the stakes and invite Baal to a formal showdown where everyone can see what he's got, or hasn't. The entire confrontation sequence is held in 1 Kings 18. Chronicles lets Kings speak for itself. We send word to Elijah, and he gives the widow a kiss on the cheek in thanks for all her hospitality, and heads south to find that things have deteriorated on every level in his absence. Ahab's wife Jezebel has been actively rounding up men who trust in me and killing them off. Fortunately, we have a man on the inside, don't you know, Obadiah, who's in charge of the palace, and he takes to hiding my followers in caves to save their skins. Meanwhile, every water source in the land has dried up. Ahab is desperate. Hoping there's just one source left somewhere, he sends the trusted Obadiah out to look for one last spring. And surprise, 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 who should Obadiah meet on the way but Elijah? Obadiah rightly fears for his life when he relays the prophet's coordinates to Ahab. But Ahab is in such a rush to confront Elijah, he forgets to kill Obadiah on the way out. It turns out King Ahab has been searching high and low for water and for my prophet. He blames Elijah for the drought. This guy doesn't even have the sense to separate messenger from source. Elijah, of course, is right spot on when he retorts, My fault! This is all your fault, Ahab, yours and your father's, because you have turned your backs on Yahweh and his ways and followed the Baals instead and taken the people along with you. I've had enough of it, and so has Yahweh. Have all the prophets of Baal and Asherah who are spreading this poison of Jezebel meet me up at the high place on Mount Carmel, and we'll just see who's got the power around here.
Read the account and you'll find that there are 450 priests of Baal and 400 priests of Asherah. And you'll remember, no doubt, that Asherah is the goddess Baal supposedly hooks up with in order to spawn local fertility. The people are desperate with thirst. Surface water dried up long ago. Crops have failed. Most wells have dried up by now. Herds and flocks are dropping dead in dry fields. And so when Ahab calls the nation to assemble on the mountain, they are not there in a casual, let's have a picnic on the grounds and watch some fireworks of an evening frame of mind. Every one of them is distressed and distraught and parched. They each know their body is as dry as can be, we're about to show them how dried out their spirit has become, too. And so, when Elijah begins to speak, the place falls completely silent. There are no casual conversations going on here, because everyone is anxious to hear whatever anyone has to say about the drought, but especially if it's Elijah doing the talking, because somehow he knew the drought was coming. And really... It'll be much better if you read it. My friend, you have to read it. This is a touchstone moment in the Abra plan, folks, that has lasting effects and surprising parallels in your life today. So unleash your owner's manual at 1 Kings 18, verse 20, or browse a bit before for the tidbits leading up, if you like. Go on. Go ahead. Hit pause. If you can, go ahead. We just love how Elijah lays the big picture right out there in his first sentence. How long are you all going to keep limping along like this with one foot in Yahweh's camp and the other in Baal's? Pick one as your Lord and stick with him. Worship him alone from today on. If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Here. Let me help you make your choice. And then he lays out his winner-take-all contest in delicious manner. Each side gets a bowl for sacrifice and a pile of very dry firewood. There are 450 prophets of Baal versus one little old Elijah. Asherah's posse isn't mentioned again after the introduction. The goal of the contest is to get either Baal or me to send fire or lightning from heaven on a clear, hot, sunny day, to send fire to light the respective sacrificial fires. Elijah tells the people that whichever god lights their own fire is the one they should worship, to the total exclusion of the other. Baal gets to go first, and if he sends fire, I won't even get a turn. Lightning is supposedly one of his specialties, too, so things are stacked in his favor before things even start. The people agree to Elijah's terms, and the game begins. Sort of. It's honestly both funny and pitiful at the same time. Those 450 prophets cry out to the sky for Baal to come on Bali, light our fire, but nothing happens. They careen around the altar in random choreography all morning. By lunchtime, Elijah's gotten out his popcorn and is heckling these guys from the peanut gallery. Try a little louder, boys. 
Baal's either taking a nap or on vacation. Or maybe Baal's bowels are taking their time and he's been stuck in the bathroom all day. Yep, that's pretty much what he says there in the Hebrew. Colorful fellow, that Elijah. Well, of course, that steams the Baal boys, and they ramp things up, adding the jaunty layer of self-mutilation to their dancing prayers, thinking that Baal will know how serious they are in their need for him when he sees the blood oozing from the cuts they make on their arms, heads, backs, and legs. As the day wears on, though, and layers of scab cake upon them, there is not a peep from Baal even though his disciples are kicking up dust, gushing blood, and screaming his name clear through to almost supper time. Their self-mutilation isn't enough motivation for him. And then you'd think that P.T. Barnum must be directly descended from the prophet Elijah to see my man roll up his sleeves and call all the people closer so they can get a good look at the show about to start. This being a high point in the terrain and all, back when Jeroboam was instituting his convenient worship program, altar to me had been erected here on Mount Carmel. It had, of course, gone unused for some time now, and had even been pushed down by someone who'd already gone all in for Baal. Well, Elijah's first move is to rebuild that altar dedicated to me not one to miss the chance for a lively illustration, Elijah uses twelve stones to rebuild that altar. Not ten, not one for every tribe present at that point, but twelve to signify the twelve sons of Jacob and the tribes they had become, our entire family, before the big split, in case they thought I'd forgotten. That's obvious enough to the people, and they get the point. What they don't get is why Elijah is digging a deep trench around the altar. His eyes just twinkle as he tells everybody to just wait and see, because then he stacks the firewood up on the altar, and then the beef parts atop that. Everyone thinks it's time for Elijah to take his turn at calling on us, but then he surprises them and says he needs something else first. Water and lots of it. He calls for four big buckets to be filled with what is now rare and valuable water, and has them brought to the altar, then poured over the meat and the firewood. That's right. On the firewood, four large jars are filled, four large jars are poured. Then Elijah has them do it two more times. Another set of three there, folks. When they're done, a nice, even, full, nation-affirming twelve jars of extremely precious water have been poured over the waiting sacrifice, wetting the now-drenched firewood, filling the trench that until now had remained a mystery. Now, there's no question that a miracle is required to light this bonfire. There's no chance some random spark from a faint-of-hand-thrown rock might tinder the wood, it was bone dry before, but it's dripping wet now. And the sun is low on the horizon as the time comes for the evening offering to be made, in times when my people are honoring me according to my decrees and statutes. And Elijah drops right into sync with them and calls on me at just that right time. O oh, Yahweh, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me so these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Note that opening turn of phrase, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, usually ends with Jacob. But Elijah says Israel this time again, rubbing their nose in the truth, the twelve tribes make up Israel, not just the northern ten. Well, the people get those fireworks after all. Before Elijah's lips are even closed, the fire, our fire, comes down out of that clear blue sky. Fire that consumes the beef and the wood, of course, but then devours the altar stones themselves and then licks up the water in the trench. This is not just a flash of lightning. This is living fire acting like it's got a mind of its own with a job to get done. And it is truly well done. Everything so well done that every trace is gone. The people? Well, they turn their hearts back to me, at least for the moment. How could they not? They fall on their faces and say, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. I knew that all along, and only wish they had. The prophets of Baal are still wondering where he is, and he still doesn't come to their aid, though they sure enough call on him, as Elijah orders them taken down to the Kishon Wadi so that their bodies and blood will be washed out to sea, along with their influence. Because just as we promised, the rain returns. The people's hearts having returned to me, the rain returns to the land. Or rather, I send the rain upon the land again. So heavy will it fall that Elijah warns Ahab, while the sky is still clear but for one poo-sized little black rain cloud out over the sea. Elijah warns Ahab that he'd better get off the mountain or chance getting his chariot stuck in the mud. And in answer to our faithful prophet's prayers, we blacken the skies with cloud and wind and pour relief down onto our people and their land. The drought is over. The lesson is not, but as your therapist often says, that's all the time we have for today. So we very much do want you to tune in next time to hear what happens next and hear why all of this matters today on The Way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.